here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Dust Bowl Revival. They are a band from Venice, California, and there's eight people in the band, and four of them came over to the house, Wolf, Liz, Zach, and James. And we sat down in the kitchen and chatted about the new record, which has already dropped. It's out now, and it's called The Dust Bowl Revival, named after them, obviously. Uh, I'll play a track from the album on this episode. It's a track called If You Could See Me Now. So I'm going to get all NPR, and after they mention the name of the song, I slip it in there. It's very exciting. I felt felt like I had such a grown-up podcast in that moment. Um, for those of you that are in Nashville, you're, so this episode will come out um, on the, what, 20, what is it, 23rd, 20, 22nd, 24th. No, what am I saying? 22nd. So this episode will come out on the 22nd, and uh, they're playing in Nashville on the 24th on Saturday uh, at 7 p.m. at the Cornelia Fort Air Park. Um, However, the day this episode comes out, Thursday, the 22nd, they'll be in Chicago uh, at Space. Um, And it's S-P-A-C-E all dotted out, like S.P.A.C.E. I don't know if that means it's actually not called space or maybe it's called something magical and weird and I don't know. You never know with the acronym. Um, on Friday, they're in Owensboro, Kentucky at the Romp Fest. That sounds fun. Um, on then Saturday, like I said, they're here in Nashville. Um, Sunday, they're in Johnson City, Tennessee. Monday, Columbus, Ohio. Then they go to Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, they're, and then they hit New York. So they're rocking it. They're they got all the eight of them, and they're hitting the road. Um, you can check them out, of course, at dustballrevival.com, and their tour dates are on there and all that good stuff. They pressed vinyl for this record, so it's very cool, um, as well as you know all the regular kinds of ways to get music. They've got it all. And I believe, if I remember correctly, in this episode, they talk about they also have 45s, which is very cool. Um, for those of you that don't know, 45 is like a tiny little record. It's very cute. I used to have a 45 player when I was little, but you know it was all Fisher Pricey type songs. So it's, it's fun to have grown up 45s that get put in the jukebox. I've heard the whole record. It's really great. Very fun. They have horns. They have. I mean, it's just fun. It's super duper fun. I highly recommend this record. And I'm not getting paid to say that. I'm just saying it because it's true. Um, what else do I want to say that's true? Oh, I know what I want to say that's true. Um, just as an offset, it doesn't really have to do with anything. I watched the season four of Sherlock Holmes. It's very good. Netflix is responsible for all my insomnia. Or maybe my insomnia exists and Netflix is there to placate it. It's one of those two things. Maybe it's both those things. It's hard to say. Uh, the usual stuff, heyhumanpodcast.com for all the links and all the information and things. And then uh, obviously the podcast is on various listening places because you're listening, so you know that. But iTunes, Podbean, Blurby, uh, what else? Stitcher. And uh, I'm on all the social media, Twitter, which I'm not good at, as I always say, uh, Instagram, which I try to be pretty good at, and Facebook. You can find it at Hey Human Podcast. And please email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. I would love to hear from you. And if you have, like, cool people you think I should talk to or recommendations for 
whatever, let me know. I, I, I just, if you want to say hi, you know, say hi. Um, I'm coming up on a year of doing Hey Human podcast, so I'm very excited about that. July will be the one year mark, and we're growing like crazy. I think the last I looked, it said 8,000 listeners, so keep listening, keep spreading the word. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh, for my year anniversary, I'm going to do the thing where my best friend Ellen interviews me for the podcast. So keep your ears open for that one. Got a lot of really cool episodes coming up. I'm super excited about and just all the good things. Uh, Dust Bowl Revival, Venice, California band, on tour, new album, super groovy. Hope you like it. Here we go. Great. Hey everybody! Hi. Hi! Welcome to Hey Human Podcast. Thanks. This is, hey. this is the largest amount of people I've had so far. It's very exciting. Dust Bowl Revival. Welcome yep. to Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. You want to go around and say your names? Hi, my name is Ulf Bjorlin and I am the trombone player. Hi, I'm Liz Beebe and I sing. My name is Zach Lubiton I play guitar and sing. Hi, I'm James and I play bass. All right, so let's get down to business. You guys are uh, working on a record. Very exciting, a new record. Yeah. And what's it going to be called? Because it looked like I wasn't sure what the actual album title was. Lucy in the Sky with <laughs> Diamonds. I think that one's been taken. <laughs> uh, it's going to be self-titled, so it's going to oh. be called The Dust Bowl Revival. Uh, kind of really simple, and, and it'll be the first time where we kind of are all uh, collaborating and uh songs have a really cool uh, unified um, kind of sound going through it where, you know, in the past we've done stuff where it's more bluegrass in one mm-hmm. side of the record and more uh, New Orleans and swing in the other part of the record. And this is kind of has a very soulful feel throughout. Yeah. Okay, cool. And how far along are you in the process? You're all done recording, mm-hmm. I assume. If it, it drops on the 16th of June. Yeah, so yes. it's being manufactured right now. We actually just got the test cuts, which is the process in making vinyl before you get the test pressings of vinyl. Uh-huh. Okay. So, and they sound good. So, who's Does doing the like vinyl? vinyl? Um, I'm not sure who's actually doing the the vinyl itself, but the the label putting it out is called Signature Sounds out of uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you know, there's always a lot of preparation that goes into putting out a record. I mean, this started actually way back in October um, 2016 when yeah. we released the first kind of single, um, Busted, and then... And there's put, a video for that. Yeah. yeah. And we put out kind of like an A-side, B-side with a, a 45 vinyl, um, and then, you know, sort of as a... A little teaser. A hint of what's to come. Because um, I think, you know, sometimes when you play as much as we do... Um, folks are really loyal they come to shows and they're like well give me something new that mm-hmm. you guys are working on so um we were able to share that and then um i think in april will be the first um the first single of this full record and then in june 16th the whole shebang so yeah. which would also be a good name for a record the whole shebang <laughs> oh, oh man if only we Oh, is it too late? The B side on the forty-five though won't be on the record, so it's sort of like a special, special ah, edition. Yeah, song gives you incentive to purchase the forty-five. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so you have one song that appears twice on the record. Is that correct? 
uh, this one yeah, song Yeah, we couldn't that... decide what to do, so we just did twice in a row. <laughs> I've done that song. before on record, so, so that's, yeah, that's cool. Don't go, James. No, it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's like an outro. There's yeah. like we kind yeah. of had this. It's actually my favorite song called "Honey, I Love You," and it's uh, featuring Kev Mo, the yeah. blues guitar player, and, and he's from Nashville now. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone is. Everyone is. It's and only a matter of time before you get all to of here. Los Angeles is moving here. So yeah. we kind of added this thing live where we would finish the song, kind of, and then do a sneak attack, kind of come back mm-hmm. and sort of this funk breakdown. Yeah, um, and. With the whole thing, I think it was almost seven minutes, you know, six and a half minutes long. And um, nobody got time for that. Well, I think if you wanted people Radio to really have time for that. listen to the track, the first part of the track, which stands alone really nicely, yeah. um, kind of were able to split it up. But a lot of us were really passionate about not getting rid of that last part. So we uh, kind of have it as a secret track at the end. Or not so secret. Thanks for spoiling so, it. Oh, well, I mean, that's a good question. I can always take that out. Because after I said it, the look on your face, I thought, I wonder if that's supposed to be a surprise. No. Is it a surprise? I don't know. Is it? I think uh, it's kind of a surprise. It's a surprise the first time you listen to the record, but hopefully people will listen to it Well, once. your audience will know. They're, they're in the know. In the yeah. This is a perk for them Exclusive to continue listening. I guess yeah. that's right. So um, I, when I listened to what Jeff sent me, Jeff being your manager, um, he uh, he's like, okay, well, you know, it's a little bit different than what, what they used to do and all that. And I listened through. I love it, first of all. It's a great record. Super fun. Thanks. And uh, I love all the horns. I'm such a fan of horns and stuff. And... Uh, but it's different, right? You guys have made a conscious choice to sort of go in a little bit of a different direction. What brought you to that? That's new. And Would you say that it's conscious? It feels sort of like a natural evolution to me. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it always feels slower of a move within the band because we've been working on some of these songs for years um, and playing them live. Um, and, you know, there's always this delay in recording where the time you put out a record, mm-hmm. it almost feels like they're lived in these songs because you've been honing them for so long. Um, but I feel like uh, the s- sort of soul and funk thing merged with the sort of folk sounds that we've been doing for years. It's sort of always been there under the surface, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they've sort of just sort of come to the surface as maybe our own unique sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe like moving towards one sound rather than having a whole bunch of different sounds on a record. Like yeah. on that past record, it kind of seemed like a little bit more of a, I know people had used the term like safari or like, um, like adventure. <laughs> yeah, some sort of adventure where you're going from one place to another place to another place and you're yeah. moving through all these different types of uh, environments. And yeah. this one seems a little bit more like those environments have all merged into one, mm-hmm. one thing. But it's interesting, when I was listening to it, I wouldn't consider it a homogenous record in any Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, there's definitely... Just yeah. 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 Just uh, un- unified. Yeah. Unified. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's definitely always, in the honing process, when we worked with uh, this producer, Ted Hud, Ted Hutt, who did a great job sort of collecting our thoughts and, and sort of merging them into one... Uh, sound um, mm-hmm. and like you said, you know, there's there's definitely some folky and, and quieter mm-hmm. um, songs on here that we haven't been able to share uh, before. In in the studio, you can really have that hushed environment and, and really hear the nuances of each other's voices and and the strings and the horns. Um, and I think 
what Ted wanted was the really emotional songs that, you know, were simmering beneath the surface to kind of like bring them out into the open, like mm -hmm. to tell people what you're really feeling, mm -hmm. you know? And that's, you know, as a lyricist, it was kind of difficult for me because there's always the the fear that it gets too personal or, or, or it's cheesy or it's um, over the top, you know? Um, but the, the rawness, I think, and, and the, the immediacy sometimes of just saying what you really think and what you really feel is, I think, going to be in these songs. So are you always the principal lyricist and everybody chips in on music, or how does that... How do y'all come to that process? Um, I tend to write most of the lyrics. Liz has been writing more lyrics, uh, which has been great. Um, the second track, um, If You Could See Me Now, is, is hers.
will kind of uh, definitely create the music around some of the framework that I'll bring to a song. Um, and sometimes a song, you know, the first track of the record, Call My Name, it was kind of just there, a blues. There was, there was you some, know, it was going to be gone. We weren't ever going to play the song. That know? one grew tremendously yeah. from its uh, inception to what you hear on the record, and it's easily one of the coolest tracks on there, and it's it's really pumping. There was one moment on that track that was incredibly polarizing, and it was me going, Oh, yeah! <laughs> and uh, the band, half the band was like, no way. And then Ted is like, "It's cool," so it stayed. Well, I think <laughs> I it's think a cool opening to that. I feel like yeah. I want to draw a cartoon. Actually, make that entire segment <laughs> come to life. But well, that song yeah. we did explode apart and then piece back together. How do you deal with that vibrant. stuff when when one of you is so gung ho about something and the rest of you say one or sort We're, of mediocre? On there is a voting. There is a voting process within the, a so band of a eight people. But we always try yeah. it. If there's someone has an idea, we always try to Listen, give it a unless shot. It's a really bad idea. No, no we always try. It's, I mean, it's a process. Yeah, we do. We do have a specific voting process for us, and we talk about it, and I think we let it simmer, and we try it out, and we try it a bunch of different ways, yeah. and see see where it goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, you know, you haven't really lost anything. Well, I think with uh, this producer Ted, when he he's worked with bands like Old Chromes and Show and, and Dropkick Murphys, and I think what he liked about us. In a similar vein is this that it is there is a messiness and kind of there's this punk rock kind of Oh it's alive, it's very Yeah, alive. and I think he doesn't want the the sounds to be too um arranged to the point where they're lifeless. And yeah, so something where <laughs> something where, where Ulf is kinda of letting loose in this joyful yelling thing in the studio, not thinking it's being recorded, sometimes that's the best stuff that really sure. shows your Personality and there's stuff of me in certain songs, you know, yelling in the background, which I actually didn't which he's notice. To do. <laughs> I didn't notice until you're listening to headphones. You're like, really though? You're gonna keep that? You know, because you're always self conscious about fun. your own stuff. Yeah, yeah. and it it's totally fun. in our old albums have yeah. that too. Yeah. Well, that's why you have to re-listen to it, and you you have to have other people listen to it yeah. too, right? Because when it, it comes out of you at first, yeah. and you can't, re- you don't really have the perspective to sure. judge it in the same way that somebody. Who's listening to it? Would so I was I was love this line that uh it's in a Wilco song that Jeff Tweedy says like I I have a heart attack every time I hear myself sing mm-hmm. you know and it's sort of like eventually you just put your put your blood and guts into it and walk away and just yeah. be like this is the you know this is cool and hopefully the rest of the world will will enjoy it and, and, and how long was taking how long did it take you to get from the the beginning to the end of the album i know you said it was years in the making on some of the songs but when you went into the studio and started working and, and oh well I mean, we rehearsed it from like the end of november to the very beginning of january minus the holidays and then we were and then we were in the studio for 10 days Okay. And that's it. That's all we yeah. have. I mean, we'd we picking on it. I feel like we've been working on like our process of writing for like the last like year and a half or two years, and then we yeah, it was but that honing and the making it. Yeah, uh, it was only like a month like, and a half, and then a couple weeks. Yeah. there was a solid amount of prep work, though there was for me personally, me and Matt, the trumpet player, Matt Rubin, uh, who's not here, he's exploring Nashville right now, Sweet. making making friends. Uh, he and I, there was a couple of tunes where I, for me at least, I was like, I don't know what we're going to play on this. Like, we're about to record. I have no idea what happens in this section. And then we, on the spot, try some things like, oh, that 
Oh no, that sounds awful. Oh, let's. Try, oh no, that doesn't. That sounds like a clown car. This, oh, this is kind of cool. And then you have an idea, and then Ted Hutt, the producer, is like, "Well, try doing a little bit of this." But mm-hmm. but he says it with a British accent. And then we try that. It's like, okay, well, let's drop the last one. Okay. Anyway, so it takes shape, and then it's like, cool. Well, that happened. Yeah. Well, well, the, cool. the process isn't even finished when you get into the studio. You know, you still have to get in there, and then you have to see how it sounds and. Then you move things around from there, so it's still ongoing. The parts are still shifting, even even when you're in there. So you and have to be open to it. You get to the end and you think, oh, it's all recorded, and you go back and listen. And you think, oh, I should have done that differently. I mean, I think you're always writing, even when a yeah. song yeah. is put to bed, absolutely, and you hear it even maybe years later. You think, yeah. oh, if only I'd done that on the bridge or done that on the verse. Or and the songs are already improved, like from the time that we recorded it. It's for like, your live oh, shows. yeah, it's like, oh, I wish. Well, we that's had done the that. beauty of it is that we get to play them live, so we play them different every night. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. I'd rather have an album be, you know, a great album and then go see a really sensational live show than get a great album and then go see a live show that's terrible, which happens Or exactly the same as the album. Yeah, and then you could have just stayed at home. Right? It's Mm -hmm. supposed to always grow and change. And I think that's what's so interesting about you guys because so many times bands, they, they start out, they have this sound... And they have an audience who loves that sound. And then as one is wont to do, you begin to grow and you hear other influences and you change. But your audience gets pissed at that. But you guys can come to the table. You oh, already I hope have they get all I, I dare. I dare <laughs> but you know what I mean? You all, you, your sound is more on the eclectic side. So it's almost an expectation that that organic happening takes place. I mean, I think... Which is great. It's going to work in our favor. I, I would think so, yeah. I mean, I think things things are, like, changing now, too, with that expectation. I mean, people's listening habits are so are so different now, and they're changing so frequently that... You mean in general, or you mean yeah. your audience? No, I mean, I mean in general, yeah. too. I mean, just the way that people are going to process this record and listen to it. Some people are going to buy the vinyl. Some people are going to buy a CD. Some people are going to listen to it online. Some people are going to put it on shuffle immediately. Some people are going to hear it on radio. Some people right. are going to hear it on the internet, on the podcast, only small segments. There's just a million different ways that people could hear it mm-hmm. and could interact with it. Jack White's going to listen on vinyl. <laughs> Great. Better. Great. We have vinyl. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think as a, I guess I'm more of an old school listener where, you know, I listen, I listen to vinyl at home or, um, if I really like an artist, I'll actually try to listen to the album all the way through. And I think that's sort of definitely a dying art, you know? Um, but I think like if you really love an artist, you do listen all the way through. And and if, and if you really uh, love the album, you can't stop listening to it. Like you want to listen to it again. You know, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, definitely the goal is you want to have, leave people with something that when they get to the end, it's like, you kind of have a craving for, mm-hmm. you know, either being a part of what's in this musical world that this band has created, whether it's a show or, you know, their videos or stuff, or, you know, you just want to go back to the top, you know, and, you know, I know there's, there's albums that, I kind of was inspired by growing up, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. It's like one of my all-time favorites. Um, where it's like, there's just this haunting kind of spooky feeling that he's created just on this, you know, four track in his basement, you know. And 
the songs, you know, can be about different things. Um, there's definitely a Bonnie and Clyde kind of murder ballad thing throughout, but there's there's this overall feeling you get by listening to the whole thing. And, you know, I'm always afraid as a writer that people in their distractions and in their laziness as a listener, and I, I fall into this category a lot of time, where you write off a band first two songs. Mm-hmm. I'll do that all the time. Someone will be like, oh, you love these guys. I listen to the first couple songs, and I'm like, not into it. And I don't give it a shot. Which kind of like makes me ashamed of myself sometimes. <laughs> you know? Because like my favorite tracks in this new record are eight and nine. Yeah. You know, May I love you and got over. You know, What's for, one and two? <laughs> uh, I call two, my two. name. Oh yeah, call my call. I knew that. I so those are, both, those are both. Those are both awesome. They're both awesome. If people yeah. hear those two and are like, I'm not into it. Then well, but I here's, don't know but here's the problem, Wolf, is that like <laughs> those two songs are very at the top are big, sort of like in your face rock out songs. Yeah. Which I feel like sometimes I'm just not in the mood to rock out. I want something kind of groovy and, and a little sure. softer and so there's some kind of more mellow and, and interesting rhythmic changes at, towards the end of the record mm-hmm. so um, yeah, you never know I mean honestly you never know what people will gravitate to you know I'm always you know pleasantly surprised when people will come up to us in a show um, like in, in uh, Columbus we were there the other day and this woman and some other people on this tour too love this song Bright Lights right which is it's like a tango kind of about an old man who's decided that he's gonna use drugs to like assisted suicide himself you know sure that's my plan when I'm old <laughs> and it, but it's like all these wow. people hey man I'm, really, I've always been honest wow. about that <laughs> but like I remember when we were recording that the band kind of fought me on it like why we're gonna put this one on here you know and it's like there's there's certain mm, different types of songs that will hit people in different ways, sure. you know. And I think the the thing that we've started doing is not just have the big party fun songs, but putting in a little more of the edge and the and the darkness within the party, which is fun. Well, I like I like to say based on what you were saying earlier, I I feel that this is the most mature Dust Bowl record. Uh, it it's evolution it's it's the first record that features songs uh i think that a couple of songs that are have no humor in them but they're actually from the heart and they're they're serious and they're sad and they're about real life things and previous records like with a lampshade on it's all even this assisted suicide song is a little tongue-in-cheek right yeah Uh, i mean i think that i've always liked putting a little yeah and that twist, was, twist, like exactly. a twist ending in a song where you don't know where it's going, and then it's like, hey, you see, it is. But and, I think, yeah, yeah you're right. Well, and I this have is the to first imagine one. Death has a pretty good sense of humor. You'd have to. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna cry now. <laughs> uh, so this is the one that you know. There's uh, are we allowed to say the titles yet, or I don't know. You already said a few. Yeah, I guess yeah. we are. Why wouldn't we? I've but, already ruined the other cat. Yeah, in the thanks, bag, so. thanks. <laughs> There's one called God Over that I really like a lot, and that one is very, very sad and very serious, and there's no humor in it. But it's a beautiful, if I may, but pat ourselves but on the like back. there's like a lot it's of detail in it, though, yeah. too. I mean, it might not be like direct like laugh lines, but there's still joy in it, and there's like this depth to it that's not 
it's it's not like flat. I would say there is still, from a writing standpoint, there is still kind of a twist in it in a way where, um, and this is partially because the, the verses were in a certain order, and then uh, I think Daniel, our mandolin player, was like, "What if we don't find out that the girl, you know, gets hit by this truck?" You know, what if we don't? Spoiler alert! (laughs) What if we don't find out till later in the song? You can edit that out, right? (laughs) No, but it's like this is the kind of thing where you a song can be made better by sort of just putting one verse over here, letting the sort of Mm -hmm. what are they talking about? Why is he sad? You know, and um, when we find out what happened, it's like whoa, that hits really hard. You know. Whereas it kind of before maybe just ha- we knew right away, which was not as powerful. So you're building the story. Yeah. 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 Theatrics are good in songs, mm-hmm. I think. And this sure. is not to mention the very last track of the album, which is very... It's also raw track, and emotional. Right? Raw and emotional and dark. Yeah, and that's... So how did, why do you think you've gotten to this place where you're willing to be dark and, and vulnerable? And what... Do you even have an answer for that? Is it just part of I mean, growing I think, up? I think that we've old. talked a, a lot, you know, in interviews in the past about trying to play music that comes from an honest and authentic. Mm-hmm. And to, to at least for Zach and I, when we've spoken about it, has been from coming from an emotionally honest place when we play it, you know, so that we mean what we're singing about. And Zach is such a talented storyteller, and that's where most of his songs come from, is telling these stories that... I think putting ourselves in this empathetic position where we're really feeling what's going on in these stories and then working with Ted to sort of break them apart and um, musically make sure that they can be as interesting as possible but through the collaboration of all eight of us has led this album to just allow ourselves to be a little bit more vulnerable than maybe we have been in the past, all eight together as opposed to maybe individually so I think that that has been a big part of it it doesn't seem like it's like a big like change or a dramatic shift it seems like it was always kind of there underneath and maybe the craft is is just just better just to kind of add on to what you were saying I think there's a difference like you said of of creating a entertaining um, live show and having something that can move you in a listening experience Um, and I think you know, that is something that I, I struggle with sometimes where these songs that we play live that are very high energy, upbeat, fun, tongue in cheek, you know, there's and there's actual you know, I grew up in a family of actors and comedian type people where it's like you're used to getting that reaction. You know, you want people to smile and laugh and to like be with you, you know? And some of the quieter, darker stuff, they're not gonna get it right away but if you give them a chance to listen to it at home you know or over time uh, even like that song bright lights nobody said anything about that song for a year plus a year and a half and now people are like that song mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it took that long for it to like kind of seep into people's consciousness maybe the lyric sheet helps too Maybe yeah. I agree. I it drives me crazy when lyrics aren't included in records. Yeah. I go crazy because I'm such a word girl that if I can't see the words while I'm going, especially on. Zach, he mumbles a lot because he's from Chicago. So <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I do the lyrics for my mom because she's like, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, parents are, that's what they're supposed to say. There's a rule book that's yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, eight. the new album will have lyrics too. Good, so. yay. So eight people in the band. Mm-hmm. Always been eights? Lucky, lucky eights. Um, for the past four <laughs> and a half years, it's been this eight. How do eight people come together, form a band of all things, and not kill each other? in four years. Oh, well, we killed the first 15 or so people. <laughs> so this is... The like survivor. Cannibals. <laughs> um, so I, I put the band together about 2008 or so. Uh, this was not like a professional band. This was like everyone doing their thing in, in L.A. You know, a lot of people come to L.A., like myself, from other places with crazy dreams. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be a screenwriter or TV writer. Or, you know... And I've always been in bands since I was like 13, and it's sort of been the thing that like I can't stop doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a just a total fun obsession type thing, um, and I basically put this ad on Craigslist saying, you know, if you play any one of these 20 instruments and you like Louis Armstrong and Tom Petty and you know. And you have a couch. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I kind of had a bunch of different weird influences and, you know, some really talented people reached out, uh, include people who are still in this band, you know, I mean, Ulf and, and Matt Rubin, our trumpet player, Daniel, our mandolin player. Um, you know, there's people that kind of just by random happenstance happen to be in the right place at the right time. And I think you have to be really lucky to have a band stick around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does help, um, I think it does help, and I don't think the band doesn't want to hear this, but I think it does help to have not too many songwriters. That makes sense. I mean, to be honest, like, I think it's it's a very difficult thing. I think if you have a bunch of people saying, like, I got 15 songs, like, why are we playing my songs, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the band, I think, works in a way where I don't have as much musical expertise in certain ways, where... You know, the horn players or James here, they have master's degrees in music theory, you know? So you can kind of, like, employ these... these Music composition. What a nerd. These, like, you know, wizards. jazz studies. You know, and and now, you know, Liz is able to sort of, I think, write more, I think, from the female perspective, which I love writing songs for her, but I think it's also, like, we might as well start having people bring more stuff to the table. And I think I'm definitely a really quick writer, you know? Mm-hmm. And people actually do contribute stuff to this band at a much slower pace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really good stuff sometimes. And I wish they would bring more stuff. Like, our, I mean, our mandolin player will come in with a song like once every like five months or something. And it's great. And sometimes we'll flesh it out, you know? And... But I think the difference with this new record is that we're now sort of able to shape things where each person can have a little more of a say, mm-hmm. which is, I think, really helpful. Well, it's interesting because I think with the writing process and eight people, it's really hard to figure out what role and what sort of role you want to play and how <laughs> your own process, if you've written beforehand, fits in with that role. Yeah. Because, I mean, there is a distinctive, like kind of dust bowl sound and there is a history that kind of you know you have to you have, you want to tie it back to that you don't want to just like be dumping a whole bunch of new stuff that's completely unrelated into it because it just it doesn't work continuity wise but 
um, you want to be able to contribute. And so I think like, I mean, like I, I wrote a lot of like different, uh, not necessarily songs, but more experimental music before this. And I think a lot of that didn't necessarily relate to writing songs in the same way that Dustful wrote, but finding those little areas where you can stick something in or say, oh, like, I like this. I think it needs this. What if we did this, you know? And there's just, there's chord structures or things that like, you're just not, I'm not going to think of, you know, in the moment. And, you know, example is the song Busted that was the first single. Um, and we played that for months, you know, in some form. And it was fine. It was good. And then we kind of, we went into this, into the rehearsal space and the producer was there and it was like something not like hitting on this chorus for some reason. And I think, uh, our trumpet player, Matt was like, what if we went up to this, was it a diminished chord on the, yeah, you know, it goes, it goes down to the D sharp diminished, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I would like, I'd be like, why it's would chromatically we, down. Chromatically yeah. Down. Why would we do that? You know, like, why would we go up there? And it just completely opened the song up, yeah. you know, like, whereas like every time you get to that part, it's just like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? And it's interesting from like different, like, like, um, like the perspective of content, as well too in writing words because like some people have a lot more expertise like I know Liz you have a you you were in the theater before this mm -hmm. right the and theater the theater <laughs> and and so I mean just like you know and like Zach you know would write these songs from the female perspective or from Liz because you know there's this great vocalist and I mean feel free to take over at any point <laughs> if you want to I'm talk waiting about for you to... Well, but then, like, like so there were so many songs we were talking about. It's always either, um, you know, you're, like, a jilted lover who's man Oh, how cheated, I was, like... Or, yeah. Why I'm always angry at the, the men I'm with and stuff. Or you're, or you're <laughs> cheating on them or something like that. We're like, how can we get how can we get out of this? And then, you know, like, with the song that you just wrote, it's, like, it, it's neither of those things. And oh, like, right, right. Yeah, hopefully that. Well, and the other thing that's different about... Zach and I's writing style is that this, I can only write, like the only thing I'm an expert on is my own life and how I feel about the world around me. So I write from a very personal perspective. So when I come to the band with the songs, I have to feel pretty sure that I want to share them at all because it's like my actual life is in front of you. So yeah. if you don't like it, then it is a lot it's a lot more of like a, I take it more of a self-judgment than I would if I was like, well, here's a song. Do you like it or not? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been, I, don't get me wrong. It's amazing to have someone who's like, I wrote all these songs for you. <laughs> like, I'm not complaining. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I think it's been really helpful for us to have this group of people yeah. that come from different backgrounds and have different styles of writing. And when then when we get together, we influence each other in ways that we wouldn't have access to it's, it's as Socrates used to say eight heads are better than one and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so I mean like it's cool so like, like Josh Lynn Heffernan so is our drummer Josh Heffernan our drummer he came up with if I'm not mistaken the, the basically the baseline motif for the track the story mm -hmm. he came up with the horn riff for can you see me now and it's like so you never know where Nuggets will come from. Well, I think Sometimes they will even come from a drummer. And the writing, God forbid, <laughs> inside the mind. Well, the, the the songwriting process is a very uh, personal, you know, exposed thing. You know, 
which uh, and I think I, I'm definitely a little more used to it at this point, just because I've been showing people like, "Hey, I got a song for like 15 years," mm-hmm. but like, it's it is a you know still a bit um, hard I think to deal with when there's people in the band um, where sometimes they'll have an idea, they're really into it, mm. and it just doesn't work, you know, myself included, you know, it's like, and you don't know why it doesn't work, but like you have to kind of be able to have a tough outer skin sometimes mm-hmm. to be like, okay, you know? Um, and I definitely feel like, uh, it's hard, but it's, it's, it definitely makes the songs better in in a, in a way where we can all kind of agree in some form that, Oh, this feels really cool. You know, mm-hmm. instead of one person going like, this feels really cool. And the rest of the band's like, this feels wrong. You know? <laughs> Because yeah. it, you know, music is like a, it's like a balancing act. You know, if if something feels wrong, you fall off the beam. You know, and um, there's a challenge for me when I sing and play guitar, and I is that in the studio you can kind of have a controlled environment, and obviously you're not singing and playing most of the time. At the, um, at the same time. So I'm still learning how to play some of these songs we recorded at the shows, you know, and I can't actually play some of the songs and sing them full out yet. Some of them, you know, and I had a friend, um, who saw us in Washington DC who I respect and, you know, plays guitar with us sometimes. And he's like, you know, I got to tell you, you know, some of the songs I heard that you did live, we're fun. We're good. But when I heard them on the record, it was like, I get it now. Mm. You know? Interesting. That, like, there's some of the songs are actually not quite there yet live. That they're going to be growing over this next year, which mm. is cool. So do yeah. you ever um, keep a, um, a log, or not a log, but an audio snapshot as a song is developing along just to see how it goes along the years from start to finish? Have you ever done that? It'd be interesting uh, to hear. How I they grow. audio recording. Not maybe. on purpose. Yeah. Not like a log on purpose, but there have been times where I, for instance, have gone back to voice memos on my phone, phone from like when Zach wrote "Busted." Yeah. Because um, I remember when we first started doing that song, people were like, "Let's do high." Like we should change the key for you, and I was like, "No, you're not changing the key. I'm going to sing it in that key, and it's going to be fine." And when you listen to the original voice memo and you listen to the track now. I mean, there are things in the melody that have completely changed. There are things about the form that we've obviously changed. I, I will um, say that when we were rehearsing and working out the songs, we did record at the end of each day what we had done. Yeah, yeah, yeah in rehearsal, but over it. like a, a longer period of time yeah. of like years. Mm-hmm. You It'd know, be the way that for the super fans to yeah. hear the yeah, start yeah. we, we, I mean, we don't want them to ever hear the. <laughs> it does sometimes film. I mean, uh, record shows. Yeah, sometimes Connor Van or fiddle player. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a great podcast called Song Exploder that I really enjoyed. Um, Song Exploder. Song Exploder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and Shut it's up. yeah, it's always funny to me when you hear like you know, major and they have major and they have U two and people on there, and 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 you hear like Bono's like 
voice memo on his phone. He's like, you know, he's like, yeah. kind of just like not good, you know, for like, he's just trying something out, you yeah. know? It's like everyone's doing that. Like everyone's in their car, they're like, oh, I got this idea. Yeah. I'm muttering into my phone. And you that was me two days ago. Like, I'm in the bathroom at like seven in the morning, like whisper singing into my phone so I don't wake up Josh because I had this idea. It's just like singing in the bathroom, you know, like not trying to have any semblance of a tone come out. That does happen. Like actually, the other the other day, I was rooming with James, and I like had this I had this song that I had been fiddling with at the venue the night before, but didn't really have anything like locally. And then I woke up at like seven a.m. Mm-hmm. with this idea that this guy has like fallen really in love and you think it's like oh he's found the love of his life but it's a dog like I know that feeling and it's like his like true love is just like him and this dog yeah you know? absolutely and I was like alright well I don't really want to get up it's really warm in this bed but I knew I couldn't go back to sleep at that point because they were like yeah, right it's got this nag you. don't lose it and I basically don't it's like I could see the typewriter basically it. happening in my mind where it's like okay there's the first verse there's the second verse and there's like a point where I have to start writing it down or it's going to be gone. Yeah. You know, because it will be gone. Yes, it will. You know. Yeah. This, this was great because Zach and I were rooming together and I had gone downstairs and I had actually forgotten what room we were in. And I walked upstairs and I just followed the sound of him like kind of like talking and playing guitar softly in the room. I think that uh, Elizabeth Gilbert has a TED Talk that sort of specifically mentions this moment where... I mean, she talks a lot about the idea of genius, mm-hmm. essentially, as, like, humans being a vessel for the gods. ideas yeah, yeah, from sure. gods, you know, before the, um, before enlightenment and us all deciding that we were geniuses instead of that we had geniuses, but they sort of speak to that exact um, idea that uh, you'll be struck with inspiration, and if you don't catch it, that the idea will go I and really find somebody that. else. Yeah. I, that's how I work. Yeah. Most of the songs that I've written have been like, "Oh my God, get this out of me before I fall asleep again," and then that's it. It's just there on the page. I like, think they sort of float by your consciousness, and if you don't grab them as they go by, you'll you'll end up hearing them elsewhere, yeah. which is always weird. You come up with an idea or a story or mm-hmm. something, and then say mm-hmm. two, three years later, you hear it or you see it somewhere, and you think. I had that idea. What I'm trying to say is, I invented the spork. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are songs though. I think that like rise to the top, sort of sometimes where yeah. uh, there'll be a song, and I do this all the time, where I'll write it over a few hours. Uh, I'll lay down some sort of demo, and then literally hours later, I don't remember it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. It's weird. And then the yeah. next day, I'll be like. Oh, okay. I have to reteach myself the song. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. never really kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And then there's songs, you know, I remember when I was writing the song, The Story, on here, and I just could not stop singing this song, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just sort of, you know, every day, right? And it's like, it's like something, it's like a little spirit poking you going, you better do this song. Yeah. And those other songs that you wrote the same day are like, nope, gone, you know? It is interesting how that works. Who wrote Good Egg? Uh, I wrote that. That's a while ago. That was, that was a, that's a fun one. Yeah, we've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, this one evolved and took its current shape on this album. Yeah. It was, uh, that was a, an expression that my, my fiancé 
says a lot. You, actually, you said it earlier. You said it when yeah. we walked in, and I noticed yeah, that. Yeah, she's like, you're my good egg. You said that Jeff was a good egg. Oh, I did? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Wow. I was like, who says that? Yeah, like, I was like, I never heard that expression for some reason, that's you know. Um, but I, I like this idea. And that, there, there is definitely, like, if you listen closely, there is kind of a, a f- humor going yeah. on in the song where it's like this woman who's like, I like everything my way, and... He can't look at any other women because he's blind in both eyes. Yeah, like he's like yeah, almost like if she, how yeah. great would it be if like I had a guy who was literally blind? So he's like he only wants me. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, and she's an alcoholic because he brings her gin at dawn. Yes, I I caught that <laughs> liking gin, gin myself. Gin but it's tongue in cheek because it's a, <laughs> it's affection, but it's also you know it's sort of what married people can joke about in terms of like my man knows I'm right even when I'm wrong yeah. like ha- happy life happy, happy wife, wife happy, happy life, life sort of <laughs> that old trope that <laughs> it was kind of rock and rolly before in a kind of more generic way now it's I feel it's more like it's definitely Tina Turner inspired D- disco freak out disco yeah. freak out it's a fun record it really is thank you yeah okay. you guys have a lot of tour dates coming yeah, yeah always. usually. Yeah. <laughs> How often do you tour? What's your What's your madcap schedule? Last year was over two hundred days, I believe. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's sort of we have this routine where we kind of we'll do two weeks at a time and then take a you know week or so off in in a region or so. Um, right now, we are sort of doing this thing where we started up in. West Virginia, and then we're going all the way down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends, actually, where the festivals or different, um, more high-profile gigs take us, and then we kind of will fill in a region in between. So we saw we were like starting up in around Pittsburgh, and we're going all the way down to Florida. So it's like let's cut through Ohio. You know, we play Columbus. We're going to play Nashville and Lexington, Kentucky, and then. Atlanta and, and then Florida. So we're dodging the storm the whole time. Oh man, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's cold it. out there. Has Airbnb changed your lives? <laughs> we tried Airbnb for like one minute, and then we were like, "There's eight of us, and yeah, we all want a bed, get. and this is terrible." So uh, we do find big houses. We do hotels.com. Yeah. <laughs> That's our magical hotels.com. <laughs> Captain Obvious. All right, I'm gonna not ask, sponsored. I'm gonna ask a great inter- interview question. Name your first record you ever purchased, first vinyl or CD. Uh, I w- I think it was Michael Jackson. Bad. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm not judging bad. anybody, but that's a good one. <laughs> I had the Bangles on 45. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the first album I consciously was aware of was. Uh, there was a, f- a friend of mine I used to play basketball at his house and he was I think we were like seven or so and he was playing the Beatles come together mm-hmm. and I kind of like everything kind of stopped you know and I was like who like who is this like what is this and he like looked at me like I was like a crazy person and he was like well this is the Beatles obviously you know um, and then the first album I actually bought myself was and I went home, of course, and my dad's like, yeah, I've been playing that for years, obviously, in the house. We have that album. Um, first album I bought myself was Nirvana Unplugged in New York. Nice. That is a good record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I remember the first record I bought. The first uh, recorded music I have memory of is a tape of Dave Rubeck's Take 5, Uh, When I was really young, and I have this very distinct memory of being on a family vacation and driving 
along this route, actually, I think, because we were going from Chicago to Florida and listening to it the first time I went over mountains uh, in the backseat of the car. And, uh, yeah. I, but I don't remember the first one that I, that I went I'm out. disappointed. I thought it would be like, uh, you know, like medieval Gregorian chant. I, I, I remember the first, I remember the first weird music of... I really got into, which was, this tra- which was this CD called Deep in the Heart of Tuva. And it's a record of Tuvan throat singing. And, I, and it had this great, like, booklet that explained... Um, like where Tuva was and the history of Tuva, and I, I still love it to this day. On the count of three, everybody do it. One, two, three. It's really hard I to do. do. Yeah, it's like in the back, too. No, we, we met, um, there was uh, a Inuit throat singer who uh, was with a band called the Jerry the Jerry Cans, and that's a that's a different type of throat singing. Oh, I was going to say, That's a different type circle. of, yeah. no, you need, for the Inuit stuff, you need, if I understand correctly you need two singers and they kind of bounce back and forth and do this hocket thing oh. but for the throat they singing just her, yeah, just one person. yeah they just they just had the one person i just watched a whole youtube on this it's so funny that you're talking oh about my it. gosh oh. synchronicity I, this yeah. woman was doing it and she's explaining how you do it and i was watching i i watched it for about i, I watched her and then i watched other people and then i read all about it and yeah. i'm like man that's one hell it's of a rabbit hole yeah. Yeah. is that the, in, the inuit stuff no it was the other one. Oh, the tube yeah. you should check out there's a blues the there's an old blues guitar player, Paul Pena. He wrote um, Jet Airliner. And there's this documentary about him getting into tube and throat singing in like the early 90s. Genghis Blues. Genghis, yeah, Genghis Blues. And that's good. And flying over that's to Tuva cool. and participating. And he's like, yeah, this is like what Howlin' Wolf was doing. And like... <laughs> there was a, a really interesting connection if you listen closely to like Indian raga music and certain types of Delta blues, mm-hmm. you know, where you like, especially like lightning Hopkins or John Lee hooker. They have this drone kind of, um, they stay in on the one basically even, yeah. you know, and they're playing in open tuning a lot of times. Yeah. And the, the sitar, you know, Ravi Shankar, or other people, like it's all sort of based around this one drone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just like the amazing patterns that can go yeah. up and beyond and then back to the one. Or yeah. even, even like even like the tuning and the bending of the notes. Yeah. I mean, in like Indian music, there's, a, there's many more notes. notes. There's yeah. extra notes. And a lot of them, I think, <laughs> if I understand lot. correctly, are ornamental. And mm. it seems like that's almost like an intuitive thing that like the old blues guys did back then. Yeah. And, and now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there's an artist named Voss. It's a it's a husband and wife, and they their whole record, their records that they do, it's all a made up language. And she just mm. sort of off the cuff just starts it's singing. Like Ross or it's so yeah. yeah. cool. I dig it big time. Yeah. Y'all are really cool. I'm so excited for you, and thank I you. Can't wait to uh, hold the vinyl in my sweet little hands. Yeah. June 16th. Yeah, is yes. when it drops, and will that be available all across the land? Worldwide. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I assume uh, it'll probably you know be on Amazon and yeah. iTunes and all that stuff too. But uh, we'll we'll be having the vinyls at shows and, and uh, signature sounds. We'll distribute all yeah. over the place. So. Come out and see us, and you can get an album. And dustbowlrevival.com is the website, and yeah. I'll put links as I always do on heyhumanpodcast.com, and I'll have all the stuffs. That's Great. It. We are all humans. Yes, we are all humans. Speak for yourself. <laughs> He's an elf. You'll I'm get an there. Old, I'm an old. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks.